This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Hey, this is Drew Pearson, the original number 88 with the Dallas Cowboys and newest member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the class of 2021. And you're listening to I Test for Two. Hood, hood. And this time, part two, the I Test for Two's Hall of Fame podcast. I'm Clark Judge. I'm Myra Kaufman. And while we are definitely Hall of Fame voters, we are definitely not standing in the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. Nor, for that matter, is our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. But you know something, guys? Today's guest is. In fact, he's one of eight members mm-hmm. just elected to Canton's class of 2021. And he gets there after waiting more than 30 years i'm talking of course about mr clutch former dallas wide receiver and now hall of famer boy i like the sound of that hall of famer drew yeah me too elected as (laughs) this year's senior candidate hang on drew (laughs) all right all right i'm I'm... (laughs) hang on you waited through over 30 years you can wait for this intro (laughs) some of you of course some of you of course know drew for the original hall of uh, hail mary uh, that got him help to get him to the Hall of Fame. Three Pro Bowls, three All-Pro selections, Super Bowl victory, and yes, of course, first team All-Decade status. But if somehow you don't, somehow you missed the 1970s, I can guarantee you that you remember him for this speech at the 2017 NFL Draft in Philadelphia. To announce the Dallas Cowboys selection, please welcome... The University of Tulsa, wide receiver, Drew Pearson. All right. How about them Cowboys? I want to thank the Eagle fans for allowing me to have a career in the NFL. Thank you. I am honored as an undrafted free agent to be selected to make the Cowboys second round draft pick and on behalf of the five-time world champion Dallas Cowboys Hall of Fame owner Jerry Jones Gene Jones and the Jones family coach Jason Garrett all the Cowboys players that played before me that played with me and played after me with the second pick and the second the 60th pick 
Drew Pearson, first of all, congratulations <laughs> on being elected to Canton. Secondly, welcome to the show. And third, how are you going to top that speech in Canton? Well, it's going to be very difficult to do. And thank you for having me on the show and uh, having me as a Hall of Famer on this show. It really feels uh, special. And I'm so glad I finally got that that knock that went in my direction. And uh, yeah, it's going to be tough to top that speech. You know why? More than anything, because I found out this weekend our presentation time is going to be very limited. And Mr. Baker said, it might be prepared because it might be limited up to six minutes. Okay. So I got to get a lot in at that time. So I'll find a way to make it work. Clark. I, I don't sure. I don't doubt you at all, Drew. I will tell you this full disclosure. They tell people that every year and they go on for 50, oh, okay. 20, 30 minutes. Okay. <laughs> so all right. there uh, you I, go. Thank I, you I for letting me in on it. There you go. Um, <laughs> I mentioned that you waited over 30 years, which of course you did. And you endured what I thought was an excruciating omission from last year's centennial class. And at that time you said, the hall broke my heart. I'm wondering yes. if you can tell us how you learned about becoming a hall of famer this year and what's the condition of your heart now? <laughs> my heart's in good shape now. A little, it's a little weak from uh, celebrating and all that. And, uh, uh, but, you know, Clark, back in a year ago, last January, when I didn't get that news to go in my favor, it did break my heart. I was disappointed. Uh, it was the first time I'd been a finalist. And since it was the centennial class and what I understood what that was all about was to make up for guys that had omissions somewhere along the line. And so I thought this would be my opportunity. And that's why I had so many people at my house, all the TV stations and everything. Uh, because I waited a long time and uh, I wanted this moment to be special for not only me, but my family, my friends and my fans. So uh, I started crying after that. But you know what, guys, I only had to wait eight months later before I got a phone call in August uh, uh, about I was the senior uh, lone senior nominee for the class of 2021. And then. You know, I get the word back in uh, this January. Actually, I got the word on January 25th from Mr. Baker, who visited Dallas and came to the star, set us up, set me up, uh, because they, they thought I thought I was going over there to talk business, uh, real estate deal with Roger Starbuck. You know, Jerry and Roger are in business and real estate together, including a high rise right next door to the star. So I thought it had something to do with that. So we're in a meeting, meeting with Mr. Jones, and he's sitting across the table uh, practicing social distancing. And we're just talking and bantering back and forth. And then all of a sudden, I heard the knock on the door. And Jerry said, Mr. Jones said, Drew, go answer the door. So I went and answered the door, and bam, in walked David Baker. He filled up the door well. You know how big it is. <laughs> yeah, we do. And most of that was his head. I get on him all the time about how big he is. But anyway, uh, he had a bright green sport coat on and a bright green and white tie. And he came in and said, Drew, I'd like to welcome you as one of the newest members in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then those same tears that I was crying for sadness were now tears I'm crying for joy and satisfaction, elation, and everything after they told me. Drew, uh, congratulations. Welcome to Canton. You know, you'll be sitting uh, pretty soon for that guy with the bust. He's going to make that bust up, Drew. And uh, 
you got to tell them what kind of mood you want them to uh, portray on, on that bus. Uh, Drew, you know, I think it's important for our listeners, Drew, the young people, they don't understand that in the 70s and 80s, Drew, I mean, thousand yard seasons for a receiver, they were rare. They were rare. Yeah. And besides the fact you had Tony Dorsett on your team, so you weren't necessarily a passing team. And Drew, talk a little bit about the rules with the five yards now and how much easier it is now as compared to uh, when you were roaming those secondaries. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot different and it's a lot easier for, for the wide receivers. And I think that's why you see so many teams going to the passing game. We didn't go to the passing game unless we had to back in the day for two reasons. Number one, it was a, a running back league. Running backs were dominating the league back in that era. Earl Campbell, O.J. Simpson, uh, uh, Walter Payton, Tony Dorsett. So it was a running back league. And the second reason we didn't throw the ball that much was the type of coverages that we were getting in a secondary. On third down, man, you know, back in the day when I first started, the defensive back could come up to you like he's going to dog you, Ira. And then on the snap in the ball, he's acting like he's going to drop back. Then all of a sudden he can come up and cut your legs out from under you. And I'm like, whoa, I'm supposed to run a pass <laughs> route when I'm getting tackled at the line of scrimmage. And then they could bump you all the way downfield. So the first five, my first five years in the league, I had to play under those rules. And the other thing I like to add to that, why it was so difficult to the football, we had quality defensive backs playing the game back in the day. You know, you had a Mel Blunt, a Jimmy Johnson, an Emmett, Emmett Thomas, a Willie Brown, people like that, a Hall of Famers that were playing the game uh, uh, back in the day. So you had a lot more quality cornerbacks playing the game. So that made it even more difficult and discouraged a lot of coaches to throw the football. Drew, talk a little bit about your rookie year. I was looking at the, the season in 73, Drew, and, you know, you're playing third string, but I noticed in the last regular season game, Drew, you, you had five catches, 140 yards, and two touchdowns against the Cardinals. And then, yeah. Drew, the next week, the next week in a playoff game, you get a four-yard catch as a touchdown, and then in a tight game in the fourth quarter, you catch an 83-yarder and break the game open. Drew, that had to be the moment you, you earned the confidence of Roger Staubach. Uh, actually, uh, you're right, Ira. Uh, you know, what I wanted to do in that last preseason game, uh, because the Cardinal defense was uh, playing a defense that allowed me uh, to be that receiver, uh, first option as a receiver. And uh, I was able to catch those two touchdowns. And as you said, five for 140. And what that did was give Roger and the team and Coach Landry confidence that I'm ready to go into the playoffs. And so in that playoff situation, uh, you know, we uh, – had jumped out to a lead, then we needed the touchdown to uh, blow the game open late in the game. And we're playing a good Los Angeles Rams football team with Lawrence McCutcheon and all those guys on the team. So uh, doing that and catching that ball uh, in, in those two – those balls in those two playoff games, now you got really got the confidence of the staff, your teammates – but not only that, Ira, it gave me the confidence because after that game, I'm driving home with my late brother, Carrie Mark Moose Pearson. And uh, I told Moose, I said, Moose, I think if I could stay healthy, I could make a career of myself in this game because that gave me confidence. And then, of course, the, making those plays in a playoff game, 
you know, gave the team confidence as well. We're with Mr. Clutch. That'd be Hall of Fame receiver, Drew Pearson. And Drew, I, I mentioned that you spent over 30 years waiting. I think it was 33 years waiting for this call. Uh, there are some receivers, and in fact, just some players of any position today, who get very upset if they're not elected in the first or second or third years. But you waited over 30. And I got to tell you, I, I give you a lot of credit for the patience you had and for the class and dignity that you displayed. Um, I'm wondering, Thank you. did you ever give up hope and, and what kept you going? Uh, my faith, my faith kept me going. And uh, the fact that I did not ever give up hope. And as I kept getting passed over and listed as the all decade receiver of the seventies and then it got to the point where the only guy on the all decade team, not in, you know, I figured one day it might happen. And I, I had the hope, uh, kept faith and had hope because the fans were telling me, you know, you're going to get in one day. It's going to happen one day, you know. And then when your teammates tell you that are in the Hall of Fame that say, hey, you belong here with us, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. again, that gives you some hope, too. And then you run into players that you played against, you know, and they tell you you're, you should be a Hall of Famer. I played high school football with Joe Thiesman. You know, y'all know him as Joe Theismann. Okay? <laughs> Theismann <laughs> rhymes with Heisman. <laughs> Heisman, yeah. And he did that himself, okay? <laughs> that wasn't the PR department. That was him, okay? Uh, but, you know, Joey Theismann, Theismann called me and texted me and told me I should be in the Hall of Fame. He texted me uh, when I didn't get in back in last January, uh, a year ago last January. Joe Green, other players, uh, uh, reached out to me. So that gave me confidence as well, Clark, that one day my name might, might get called. But as, as each year passed by, you know, you start getting a little doubt because you get older and older. Yep. But you, you know what? I also learned through this process how tough this process is and how tough it's for you guys, the voters, to come up with somebody uh, deserving each and every year because there's so many seniors deserving. You know it's a long uh, log jam there. And uh, I was able to come through that log jam because I had a lot of good people supporting me and uh, none other than Rick Gosselin, Shireen Williams, and people like that push it, uh, continuing to try to push me through. And eventually they got me through the door. You know, you, you bring up a good point because you said you're getting older and that's true. And that room is getting younger. And so you're going in opposite directions. And the danger there is that voters or some voters don't remember who Drew Pearson was. They just know you as numbers and stats and that sort of thing. And, yeah. and I, I looked at you last year when I said it was excruciatingly painful to watch you with the omission from the centennial class. And honestly, Drew, you look like a broken man. I felt for you because you look like a broken man. Yeah, I was. Yes. And, and I know you said it was only eight months later, but how difficult were those eight months? Because you might have been thinking, that was my last chance. I mean, some of those guys did. Yeah. They think, that's my last chance. And that's why I was so brokenhearted and disappointed. You know, I've never been a finalist, you mm -hmm. know, so I didn't know how finalists supposed to act. You know, I'm inviting everybody to my house, every media station. Over the years, I worked for every TV station in this market, a bunch of radio stations. So I had them all at the house. And uh, my family, my friends, I wanted to share that, that with them. Uh, but after I didn't get uh, hear that word or uh, uh, the word didn't go in my favor in that situation, uh, yeah, I was brokenhearted initially. 
but I got over that. You know, you guys didn't see about 30, 45 minutes later, we were popping champagne, you know, <laughs> anyway, because we had so much at the house, we said we might as well drink this stuff, you know. So uh, anyway, uh, you know, I just kept the faith. And again, it was just the, the faith of other people keeping the faith for me, you know, and telling me, hey, Drew, you deserve it. It's going to happen. And then, uh, you know, I talked to Rick Gosselin after that. And he said, don't give up. Don't give up. You still got a chance. You know, you still got a chance to go through that senior door. And he was right. I didn't give up, kept the faith. You know, I waited 29 years to get in the Dallas Cowboy ring of honor. Okay. So I'm used to waiting for these types of uh, 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 large recognition, you know, this level of recognition, you know. And for a long time, guys, I thought my name was Why Aren't You? Because for 29 years, people were saying, Why aren't you in the Cowboy Ring of Honor? And I finally got in and that stopped. But then they start saying, Why aren't you in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? But now I know my name is not Why Aren't You. My name is Drew Pearson, number 88, and uh, a member of the class of 2021 Pro Football Hall of Fame. There so I had go. to go Amen. through all that and everything. But, you know, it, it's blessed. You know what, guys? It doesn't matter when it comes, as long as it comes. You know, I can't imagine being any more excited uh, for it to come in my first year of eligibility or come right now. And God knows uh, – what's best for us in our lives. You know, he has a, a plan for us and we have to follow that plan, that path he has for us. So I had faith in that in my, uh, 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 as well as faith coming from other people telling me I deserve it. And so that's how I got through it. And then I only had to wait eight months, you know? I was prepared that day, hopefully uh, thinking that it would go in my favor. Then when I got the call from Rick Gosselin, telling me to pick up the phone when it rings. I didn't even know they were voting on the senior committee uh, uh, nominee at that time. I'm out doing the yard work and cutting the grass and, and stuff, and like, stuff like that. And so uh, I wasn't expecting it. And then the word came. And uh, when Mr. Baker called and said I was the only the lone senior nominee, you know, that gave me a little more confidence at that time. He said, you still need 80% of the vote. So I still wasn't, you know, getting overly excited but I knew I was in a good position that it could possibly happen this time. Drew, talk a little bit, um, talk a little bit about your, your college years in, in, uh, in Tulsa. And um, why did you switch drew? Why'd you switch from quarterback to wide receiver? What happened? Well, you know, I never wanted to be a quarterback. Uh, I only bet I only became a quarterback because in high school, uh, Joe Thiesman uh, was our quarterback and he was a senior and I was a sophomore. I started at wide receiver and safety on defense. And uh, after Joey left, I guess they they uh, asked me to be the quarterback because uh, uh, best athlete on the team. Right. And so uh, to prepare for that, I used to play the varsity game on Saturday afternoon, go both ways, never come off the field, and then play the JV game in high school at quarterback on Monday afternoons and just play quarterback to get groomed to replace Joey. So after he left, I became a quarterback. And then my senior year, I made all state, got a lot of scholarship offers. I was uh, being recruited heavily, Michigan State. Uh, Vince Carolot came down and uh, offered. And during that period, he ended up getting the head coaching job at Tulsa University. And now he's recruiting me to go to Tulsa. I didn't even know where Tulsa was. 
I thought it was Tulane. I said, yeah, it's in, it's in Louisiana. Don't worry about it. It's Louisiana. You know? And so after I looked up to find out where it was, uh, but anyway, Tulsa recruited me as a quarterback, but they also allowed me the opportunity to play baseball if I wanted to. But I started uh, my freshman year on the freshman team at quarterback and then four years of my sophomore four games of my sophomore year at quarterback. But after that season ended, since I gave up baseball, made the commitment to football, I knew I wasn't going to be an NFL quarterback. I just didn't have the necessary skills to do that. I knew that. And so I asked the coach before my junior season if he could move me to wide receiver because if I'm going to play pro, that would be my natural position. So he agreed with me. And to this day, he says I'm the reason he got fired <laughs> two years later because he, he moved me to quarterback and we had two more losing seasons after that. <laughs> uh, and I only caught 55 passes in two years playing that wide receiver <laughs> position. But, you know, guys, after they moved me from uh, quarterback to wide receiver, that meant they moved Ray Rhodes. Remember that name, Ray oh, sure. Rhodes? Yeah, sure. yeah. Yes. They moved him. They moved him from wide receiver to running back. And Ray still is mad at me to this day because you don't want to play ro running back at Tulsa back in the day, like, you know, back then. You know, it was a suicide type of deal. So Ray is still mad at me to this day uh, for, for that. He ended up being a, a, a pro defensive back, cornerback in the pros. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, that's how it happened, and I'm glad it did. And the blessing to all that and making that transition at that time, I had a receiver coach that was that knew how to coach that position coach Ted Plum he had coached in the pros with the Chicago Bears and because he was there and not just some uh uh like like in the pros when I got in the pros my re receiver coach was Mike Dicka you know <laughs> I mean he he knows how to run those tight end routes and knock somebody's head <laughs> off but he didn't know nothing about running wide receiver routes you know <laughs> And so he used to say, just knock his head off, Drew. I said, Mike, just show me how to run a route or show me how to knock his head off, you know? And so uh, I had to learn that, you know, and pick it up, continue to pick it up. And I learned it from the people in front of me. And that guy in front of me was a guy named Otto Stowe. And Otto Stowe had played three or four years behind Paul Warfield in Miami and wanted to get out of there. So the Cowboys made a trade. They traded Ron Sellers to Miami Dolphins for Otto Stowe. And, on, and that's why the number 88 was available when I was cho choose, had the opportunity to choose number a number uh, because Ron Sellers wore number 88, and that was available after they traded him. Uh, so I learned a position from Otto Stowe, but I was most thankful that the coach saw it was okay for me to move the wide receiver so I can get a head start on trying to do what I had to do to learn the position and prepare to uh, play it in the NFL. Hey Drew, and uh, Drew in that uh, in that NFC title game at Candlestick, a classic game, the Dwight Clark catch. I was there, Drew. Yes. I was there. I was a reporter oh, for United nice. Press, nice. and you know I'll never forget it. Clark and I talk about it all the time. That you almost won the game after the Dwight Clark catch, and I just yeah. watched it a, a little bit ago. You you were wide left, really near the sideline. And I think there was a guy in the slot on your side. Yeah. And, and you ran that deep post, Drew, and you caught that ball and that horse collar. You're down at the 44-yard line. If it's a penalty, you, you might be in field goal range. Um, right from there. Did you, did you think you were going to score on that play once you caught that ball? 
Yes, yes. You know, what happened on the play, I come off the line of scrimmage and I notice I'm double covered. Uh, 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 Ronnie Lott and Carl, no, Eric Wright and Carlton Williamson. And uh, so, first of all, I'm thinking Danny White's not going to throw this ball. So I run my route that was called and I look back and the ball's coming. And I guess those guys could thought they could make an interception. They uh, jumped in front of me, the ball zipped past them and I caught it. And because that was, I was double covered in that situation, I'm thinking I got green, uh, nothing but green grass, you know, maybe to the end zone, even with my speed, you know, I can get 20 more <laughs> yards and get us a field goal position, you know? And so uh, I, I'm free after that because I saw them, the ball go past them. And as soon as I caught the ball and started to take a step, Eric Wright came in and pulled the jersey and uh, yanked me down. He kind of, grabbed the jersey first and reinforced it by having the shirt shoulder pad and yanked me down. Now, after that, I went back to the huddle and told Tony Hill, line me up on the right side this time. Let me fake the in route and run something to the sideline. And Tony was uh, 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 okay with that. I said, you got to get off the line of scrimmage on the other side. And then we went to Danny White and told him what we were going to do. And Danny White really was trying to look, go to Tony Hill in that next uh, uh, play and, and held the ball a little too long waiting for Tony to break the coverage and uh, he ended up getting sacked and fumbled and that was the game but I hear that all the time that would have been Hail Mary number two yeah. that would have been really cool <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> uh, yes, yes. Who's, the, who's the defensive back who gave you the most trouble in your career the, the, the one guy Mr. Mel Blunt sir Mr. Mel Blunt <laughs> Mr. Mel Blunt yes. so good that they know I said that so good that they <laughs> had to change him. the rule Yes, and his uh, because of him. Yeah, that's know? right. And they call it the Mel Blunt rule to this day. That's and, right. Uh, yeah, he was very difficult. You know, he's six four, two oh five. Okay, and that that's an advantage right there. You know, I'm I'm six feet, six one. I was about one seventy five, one eighty. And you know, they he's playing within that steel curtain defense. You know, normally when we played on a third down situation, the quarterback had three seconds to 3.5 seconds to get rid of that ball. If you play in the Spitzer Steelers and that steel curtain defense, you better let that ball go in no more than three seconds, okay? Even a half a second is a little too long. But at the same time, while we're, that clock is ticking within the three seconds, you're trying to get off the line of scrimmage because Mel Blunt is not going to let you inside. He's cocked to the inside, and he's going to beat you up all the way downfield and not and, and do that until the ball's thrown in the air. So we could never get off the line. The only passes I caught against Pittsburgh in regular season game in, in excuse me in preseason games, regular season games, and Super Bowls have been on running down situations because there's no way you're going to get off the line against Mel Blunt in a passing situation. And uh, yeah, he was the best I've ever played against. Uh, you know, I got prepared very well week in and week out with a guy like Mel Renfro on my team and later Everson Walls and the safeties, Charlie Waters and Cliff Harris. You know, when you're playing with Cliff Harris in the defensive secondary, you know, <laughs> you're looking forward to the game, you know, because he's not out there anymore. <laughs> you know, he even, he even hit us in practice, you know. And so, uh, yeah, Mel Blunt, Mr. Mel Blunt was the best the cornerback I played against. And the second best, Pat Fisher. From the Washington yeah. Redskins, number thirty-seven. You know, remember him? Number thirty-seven. And complete opposite. Yes, complete. He was a little guy, Drew. Size. He was a little guy. He was, yeah, 
He was 5'8", but yep. he was cagey. He was smart. And he would dog come up to you like he's dogging you. And then before the snap, he would drop back. And you're thinking he's going to play you off. And then as the snap, he would come up and cut your legs out from under you. How are you supposed to run a pass route when they're tackling you at the line of scrimmage? <laughs> and all that was all that was legal back yeah, then. Yeah, that's right. So that's it was very difficult for us to get off the line of scrimmage. And that's another, you know, like I said, that's one of the reasons why uh, uh, teams didn't throw the ball that much. In third down situations, we went underneath to Preston Pearson, to Butch Johnson, to Billy Joe Dupree. Tony Hill and I were just trying to clear it out to create space for those guys. I got one more, Drew, and thanks so much for doing this. Drew, Absolutely. overall, tell, tell us what it was like to be in that fishbowl of the Dallas Cowboys, the America's team, the glamour. Did you embrace that, Drew? Did you kind of wish that that kind of stuff would go away a little bit? Or what was it like being in the middle of that? Well, I loved it. I embraced it, you know. I still embrace it, you know. You come out of Tulsa and out of obscurity at Tulsa University, you get never being on TV, no bowl games, no nothing. And you get this opportunity with the Dallas Cowboys and playing with all these other great uh, players and being coached by the great Tom Landry, you know. And that during my time, that's when we were labeled America's team. Mm -hmm. And we had to live with that moniker, you know, for the rest of our careers. And, and other teams used that to provide motivation for themselves. Because sometimes you go over the middle and make that catch or knock, they knock it down. They said, yeah, America's team. Yeah, you're supposed to be America's team and all that kind of stuff. You know, so we had to live with that and deal with that. But, you know, being a Dallas Cowboy was really special around here because we were winning. You know, I played 11 seasons, never had a losing season that as a Cowboy. Uh, made the playoffs 10 of those 11 seasons. Of those 10 playoff appearances, I played in seven NFC championship games, ended up playing in uh, three Super Bowls uh, with that. So we were it around here, you know. Back here, it was uh, at that time, it was J.R. Ewing and, and, the, and the TV show Dallas. Fred Sanford and the Sanford and Son and the <laughs> Dallas Cowboys. Okay. And so, you know, we had, we got special treatment everywhere we went, no waiting lines, uh, uh, free drinks, free food, uh, upgrades on air flights. I would go to the airport with the Super Bowl ring and just do it like that <laughs> at the, at the ticket counter. And the lady would say, Whoa, what is that? I say a Super Bowl ring. She said, who are you? Then she'd look at, oh, you're Drew Pearson. I'm going to upgrade you right now. You're upgraded. <laughs> you're America's team. So, you know, there was, I guess there was some good and bad with that. The bad was the football side because it got our opponents fired up. But the good was how we were able to live off of that, you know, uh, for a number of years. Absolutely. I think, I think you must have shown that ring to the senior committee because they looked at it and said, we're going to upgrade you. We're putting you in Canton. <laughs> That's a good one. I might use that in my speech. <laughs> hey, uh, Drew, upgrade, upgrade. <laughs> then I'll show the Hall of Fame ring. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Drew, a couple last ones for me. And by the way, Ira Kaufman here is on the senior committee. So he was one of those who put you forward as a finalist. That's right. Well, thank my you, friend. I appreciate that. I didn't know that, but I'm, I'm indebted to you. Thank you very much. Well-deserved, right? my friend. Well-deserved. <laughs> two <laughs> two last sir. ones, Drew. Do you know who's going to present you? Uh, no, I haven't. I thought of it, yes. Uh, they were with us. There was no question it would be either Coach Landry or Harvey Martin, who was my teammate, 
and uh, best friend on the team. We came in together. We retired together. We were roommates starting in training camp. We were roommates on the road and all that. And he died too, way too soon. Uh, but if, he, if they were with us, he'd be one of those two guys. So now I go down to the next level. <laughs> Don't tell him I said this, but the next level <laughs> is Roger Staubach, okay? Right. And uh, then I have, I have three beautiful kids, Tori, Brittany, and Jared. They're adult kids now, and they would do me justice, no question. And then, you know, growing up, guys, I had uh, uh, three brothers and three sisters. And I have one sister left, and she's my older sister. And I know she would uh, uh, relish that opportunity and do a good job there. So it'll come down to one of those three uh, scenarios, and we'll see how it works out. Okay. I might put it on eBay and just bit, uh, give it to the highest bidder, <laughs> you know, make some money off of that. <laughs> I think you do pretty well with that. I'm a marketing guy. That's what I do. It sounds like you've been working a little too closely with Jerry. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when after I, after that, uh, when I got the call, we had a meeting after that, you know, we met for over an hour just talking about things. And that's one of the things he said. He said, yeah, we're marketing guys. We're marketing guys. We know how to promote this stuff, you know? That's why we're going to have a celebration. Going to have a celebration in Canton. We're going to have a Cowboy celebration. And I'm in business. I'm in business with the Cowboys. I have a, 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 a long online apparel line called CowboyLegends.com. And uh, the Cowboys blessed that and gave me the opportunity to do business uh, with that Cowboy Legends merchandise. And we have any you want a Roger Starbuck jersey or a Cliff Harris hat or whatever, you go to CowboyLegends.com and you can get that. Could, could I find a Clint Longley jersey there? Absolutely. We can do oh, one I, because that's what? all we would need to make. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we can do ones. Because okay? you, you guys <laughs> sent him out to San Diego, right? After that uh, tiff with Roger? <laughs> yeah, he had to go somewhere. He had to go you know, somewhere. Uh, provoke a fight with Roger Starbuck, you know your fate is sealed, okay? (laughs) And he knew it. After that fight with Roger, he had his car uh, ready and packed and all his stuff packed and ready to go (laughs) because he knew it was all over as a Dallas Cowboy. (laughs) Smart man. Hey, the last one, Drew, is excluding the Cowboys. Let's just take them off the table. Excluding the Cowboys. Who's the one senior that you would like to see elected next to Canton? Mm, wow. Excluding the Cowboys. God, I don't know. I don't, throw some names out there. Uh, oh, Randy, oh, here it is. No, no. no. Randy Gratisher, I was getting, you were getting ready to say. Yeah. Cliff Branch. Cliff uh-huh. Branch, okay, is the one. All right. And I just did uh, at the uh, Super Bowl weekend, uh, you know, Tom Flores is part of the class, and we did a Zoom conference call. And I told him how much I appreciate Cliff France because he was the receiver coach before he became head coach of the Oakland Raiders. And he coached up Cliff France and Fred Belitnikoff. And that's why I respected what he said, the credit and the respect he gave me as a receiver, because I know what he knows what he's talking about, about that position. But yeah, I would like to see Cliff France. He has the stats. He has the number of years in the league. I think he has the credentials as far as pro bowls and all pros and, uh, you know, he's not here with us, you know. You know, that's one of the things that, that bothered me uh, that day. You know, I was heartbroken. But it bothered me that I was taking attention away from some of those guys that were also heartbroken. But not Cliff Branch, but his family as well. 
And that bothered me. So the guy I would push and promote uh, to this day, the uh, come through that door would be Cliff, Cliff Branch. Yeah, I covered the Chargers in San Diego. The one guy they feared, Cliff Branch. He's one guy Cliff they feared. Branch. Yes. You know, he was breaking up in the game. I don't know what his average per catch is, but I guarantee you, it ain't like these receivers nowadays, you know, where they average 10 yards a catch, 11, some average under 10 yards a catch. They catch 100 balls, but they don't have that average. I finished my career with 489 catches, and I averaged 16 yards a catch. Yeah. You know, we were thinking about getting downfield. Tony Hill finished with uh, uh, 480, 479, and his uh, uh, final average was 16.8 yards a catch. So we were getting downfield when we had the opportunity. Drew Pearson, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations once again on reaching the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We'll see you in Canton, and good luck on trying to top Jerry's party there. <laughs> All right. Thank you, man. We'll, we'll do our best to do that. <laughs> Try to do that anyway. I appreciate you guys having me on. Anytime right. you need the original number 80, 88, just call my name and I'll be there. The only guy I ever said that to was my quarterback, Roger Stallone. <laughs> so you're in good company. Thank, thank, okay. you. thank you, Thank Drew. you, guys. That was a real be pleasure. <laughs> okay. All right. Ira, that was terrific. I loved it. I love listening to Drew Pearson. He's such a great interviewer and a great speaker. And I thought that was interesting what he had to say about Cliff Branch. You're on that senior committee. His name does come up. It, it comes up uh, very prominently. And, uh, you know, you never know. He could be the next guy. And uh, let's see what's next on this show, my friend. You know what, Ira? I think they just heard Drew Pearson's speech. <laughs> they loved it. But they're, they're telling me, no, they want to hear from you in our weekly I Was There segment. So, Ira, where are you going? Where were you? When was it? Clark, I was somewhere where Drew Pearson was on the afternoon of January 11th, 1981. NFC Championship game. Veterans Stadium, Cowboys, Eagles. Clark, I was there, and it was 12 degrees with a 30-mile-an-hour wind. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Ron Jaworski went 9 for 29 for 91 yards. And the Eagles won the football game. Why? Because their defense hounded Danny White all over the vet. Drew Pearson did very little except warm up on the sidelines and get on those heaters. And the Cowboys only got 206 yards. They turned the ball over four times and the Eagles won the game and Clark Wilbert Montgomery was the star 194 yards against that doomsday defense, including Randy White Clark. And that was the game that lifted the Eagles into the Super Bowl where they would lose to the Raiders and Tom Flores. Drew Pearson was in that game, Clark. To the Raiders and Tom Flores and Cliff Branch. We just heard from That's him. correct. Hey, how long did it take you to thaw out from that game? Uh, I'm, I'm still working on it, baby. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, my wife and I, uh, I like to break a little news on this show. Oh, yeah, uh, go my wife, No, 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 we're not breaking up. No, no, no. 40 years in November, we're not breaking up. We got our vaccines today, Mr. Oh, wow. Judge. Wow. We got our vaccines. So we they must have. 
They, yeah, they must we, have okayed 75 and over in Florida then, right? <laughs> Nicely done, baby. Nicely done. <laughs> Ira, congratulations. Final thoughts, by the way. Final thoughts here. Final thoughts are Drew Pearson is a guy that you can't help but root for, Clark. You can't. And he wears his heart on his sleeve, and I love that. And very final thought. We lost another one, Therese Paler. Right. We lost another writer, 37. Clark, what, what is going on in, a, in the world today? It, it's unbelievable. It, yeah. it, you, you, tell somebody that you love them now and don't, don't wait. Don't wait, Clark. Don't yeah, wait. We tell our daughter every day when you wake up, it's a great day. She goes, why? It's because we're here. That's why. Great day. So thanks for that, Ira. He was, as you mentioned, only 37, a Hall of Fame voter and loved being on that board. He did love being on that board. That's going to do it. Um, Ira, tell them where they can find you on Twitter, the usual drill. At iKaufman76, Clark. Go ahead, Ian. At IGLEN31. And I'm at, at ClarkJudgeTOF. And if we don't hear from you there, Ian, you tell them where they can hear from us next week, please. At the iTest for Two on Twitter. That's all letters, no numbers. Great. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>